Four Points, we have such an exciting honor this morning with one of my best friends in the whole world, Lawson Clary from Five Point Church coming to bring a word this morning. So I hope you guys will stand up, put your hands together and welcome my friend, Pastor Lawson Clary. Y'all celebrate what God's doing in this house together. What's up, everybody? How are you guys doing today? All right, listen, uh, the, I was about to say the 9 a.m. service, that's, that's what it is over at Five Point, but um, the, the 10 o'clock service was, was absolutely awesome. We had a blast, and you know, one of the things that I love about coming over here is like I really do feel like this is an extension of home. Um, I, I, just, I get to come over and see friends and, and just people I consider family now, too. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Lawson Clare. I'm the executive pastor at Five Point over in Easley. And I think a while back, Pastor Dean came over here and, uh, and spoke as well. I am his son-in-law, okay? And I am from Gaffney, so don't hold that against me either. And I, uh, I was coming back from Gaffney on Thursday. I got asked to speak at Gaffney High School for a homecoming festivities type thing. So I got to go and speak to the whole student body while I called Pastor Mark on Wednesday and said, hey, listen, I'm going to be coming through. Let's meet for lunch. So we started talking to each other at lunch, sharing about some things that are going on within our churches. And a person came up from another church and started talking with Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark introduced me and we just started rolling with conversation. He said, well, so did y'all like plan having five points and then subtracting one and just having four points. And we were like, no, we, we did not even know really each other existed uh, prior to four points being planted. We met each other about three months after that just by happenstance at a conference that we went to. Pastor Mark and my wife were good friends in college, and I knew him through that, but we had not seen each other for probably about 10 years. And God brought us together at that moment. And now, I mean, good gracious, I, I consider y'all just, uh, we, we're all one big happy family. And it's just so awesome to get to see what God's doing here. I, I tell you what, every Sunday or Monday, I talk with Pastor Mark, and we just kind of share about what's going on, challenges that we face, and those types of things. And I'm telling you, it is amazing what God's doing here. And y'all are doing an awesome job of just reaching this, this area for Christ. So just give yourself a hand on that. That's great. So today, y'all have been going through the Blessed Life uh, uh, series, and so I am going to take it just in a little different direction. We're going to talk about faith today, uh, and, and really the, the concept of faith and how we view it in the American church is really just kind of backwards, okay? And, and I'm just going to try and turn it upside down today, but, but I want to share an illustration with you first, really a story. And again, it goes back to Gaffney. So don't hold that against me. But uh, I love being from Gaffney. Sometimes whenever I'm there, I want to get out of Gaffney because it, it's kind of scary sometimes. But I love the place, and I love going back and seeing friends and family there. But, so I played basketball, the other sport, at Gaffney. And in ninth grade, whenever I was in school, we had Ewing and Grenard Junior High School. So the ninth graders were in the junior high still. They weren't in high school. Well, I was about 6'1", about 135, 140 pounds. So, like, if you blew on me, I was falling over. So I was just this skinny kid, really awkward, had size 13 shoes and just big head and everything else. And, you know, for some reason, 
I never could really score a lot of points as a ninth grader. Seventh and eighth grade, I didn't either. Uh, I, I averaged about nine points a game, I think, my, my ninth grade year. But the high school coach came to one of my games and started talking with me afterwards. And I was like, what is this guy doing? Well, they got me signed up on an AAU team for that spring and summer after the basketball season. And, and my middle school coach assisted on that team, but I was based out of Greenville. And so we would drive to Greenville three times a week and have practice and then go all over the country playing basketball. The coach there had one objective for me, and it was to make me a scorer. Okay, and so if y'all don't know in basketball, basketball, uh, you, you have... People have roles, and so some of them are defenders, some of them are rebounders. So they wanted to make me a scorer. I look like a scorer, right? You know, just so so they taught me how to shoot the ball properly. They taught me about basketball IQ, how to play the game, those types of things. They taught me to shoot high and get a big arc on the ball and let it land softly on the rim. So. I'd worked really hard all summer. I think I put on like maybe three pounds and, you know, I, I just, I really was in shape and made the varsity basketball team as a 10th grader at Gaffney. And that, that was like, that was a big deal. And so we go out to our first game and our first game is at DR Hill Middle School. Uh, I've played many games there and it was in the Big Mac Classic. All right. And the first game that we're against is Easley High School, where I live now. Never forget it. I get out there, and I'm thinking, oh, man. I, I, I wasn't scared of playing in that gym or anything like that because I'd played there, but I sure was scared of that other team over there because they were huge. And I was 6'1", 137 pounds now. And I looked across, and just fear came into me. Well, that game, I went one for eight, three points. And as I walked off the court, I was thinking to myself, man, I don't belong here. I don't belong on this court. I belong uh, practicing with the JV team. I don't even know if I belong there. Because honestly, my ninth grade year, I was thinking it was probably going to be my last year because Grenard and Ewing would come together at Gaffney High School and I wouldn't make the team on the JV, much less playing on the varsity. So I had all these doubts running through my head. As we started down into the locker room, down the steps... We had lost the game, and I started remembering everything that I had worked towards that summer. Everything that I worked towards that summer was to be the best basketball player that I could be. And I expected the benefits to come out on the court. And I started thinking about all the drills that I had done, all the sweat, all the blood, all the tears that had gone into it. And I was like, okay, we're going to give it one more shot. If coach will give me one more shot, we're going to give it one more shot. So the next night, we come out and play, and it's earlier that day because we're in the loser's bracket. And uh, I score the most points I've ever scored in a basketball game. I had 19 points, a lot of threes and all kinds of stuff, and my confidence just went back up. Now, I say this illustration not anything about basketball, but this is the way in which we believe things are going to happen in our life when we're walking with Christ. That if we put in the hard work, that if we do those things, that the blessing is going to come at the end pretty quickly. Well, for me, I didn't score 19 points every single game after that. I didn't do that. It was work. It was hard. There was all kinds of issues. 
For us in the American church, what we have tried to figure out is how can we get to the blessing so quickly without any of the work or the faith involved in it? And so I don't want us to have this misconception that a walk with Christ is something that's guaranteed to be easy on our way to a blessing. It is actually very difficult, and there's a journey to it. And a lot of times, I don't have a better way to put it, but it sucks. It can suck the life out of you, literally. And so what we're going to talk about today is a guy that has been on this journey. A guy that's been on this journey. His name's Joseph. And we're going to just, I'm going to kind of describe it to you. I'm going to take some pieces of scripture out, but I'm going to really describe you the story. But first, I want you guys to understand that there's a statement that I want to say. Sometimes our faith doesn't make sense to other people. I just spent a week out in Seattle. And out there, I, didn't, I saw one church while I was out there. I talked with a bunch of people that had no clue about what faith is what faith means. And so for so long, I just felt like people would understand, this is why Lawson Clary is who he is, because of my faith in Christ. People have no clue if they don't have faith in Christ what faith is. And so we have to get past that barrier first for us to understand that, hey, this faith walk, people don't understand it, so why are you going to expect them to understand it on your journey? Okay? So in the first service, what I had everybody do was look to somebody right next to you and say, listen, sometimes faith, our faith doesn't make sense to other people. My faith doesn't make sense to you. My faith doesn't make sense to you. Neither does yours to anybody else. So if we can start off right there, it's going to set up the foundation for what we're going to build today. All right, so we're going to start out in Genesis 39, but first, I want to go back to Genesis 37. I want to introduce this guy named Joseph to you. Joseph, y'all probably know him as the dude with the coat of many colors, okay? So he did. He was special to his dad, and his dad got him this coat that had all these different colors, and that was really rare back then because that was a lot of money to put into a piece of clothing to have different colors like that done. Well, Joseph thought pretty highly of himself because God was going to use him, but man, the timing doesn't always make sense on this. So Joseph was telling his brothers that they would bow down to him eventually. That probably doesn't go real well with most people, right? Okay, so the thing about this is, so his brothers are jealous at him. And so they know that he's coming to check on them. They see him off in the way, and they plan to kill him. It's a common you know, theme, I guess, with jealousy and that type of thing. A little extreme. But they were going to do that. One of their brothers says, okay, let's don't kill him. Let's just, let's just put him in a well. So they put him down in this dry well. Joseph's thinking now, listen, I am supposed to be God's anointed because they're supposed to be bowing down to me, and I'm in the bottom of a well about to die. What's he thinking? What is going on? Well, then all of a sudden the brothers come, and they sell him into a caravan that's going to Egypt. So Joseph's looking back like deuces, you know, and, and it's like, what, what is going on? So that sets up the life of Joseph right now. This isn't the one that you would think 
we would be using for the concept of, man, our faith brings forth blessings. But it does set up what we need to study today. Let's read in chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. Now remember, Joseph has been sold into slavery, and this is where we're finding him now. And he's been sold to a guy named Potiphar, okay? And he was in the house of his master, Potiphar, the Egyptian. Now, his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned, he put in his charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. Okay, I want us to just think about this. What would happen if we absolutely knew God had a blessing for us, knew that he had something in store for us. He had given us a vision of that. And then all of a sudden, your, your life was just flipped upside down. Let's say you lost your job. A family member passed away. You had to move, and you had to go to a place where you had no foundation set, and you were honestly like a slave. Just try and put yourself in Joseph's position right here. And I want to read you this point I want you to write this down, and it's going to help you understand what Joseph is going through. That the blessings of God are not on our time. They're not on our time. We often say, God, I love you. I want to live for you. God, please do great things in my life. But the problem is, is that when the first bump in the road comes, we're like, God, what are you doing? God, why is this happening to me? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Joseph was doing everything he was supposed to do. And yet, he's in slavery in Egypt. And even whenever he's in slavery in Egypt, he is being obedient to God to the point where it's bringing prosperity to his master because he is so filled with God's purpose in his life in the midst of just crap. He's separated. He has no family. He has nothing there except for his God. Again, sometimes our faith doesn't make sense to other people. You would say, Joseph, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you trying to follow God's will in your life whenever it's leading you down this, people would say, a path of destruction? When in essence, it's God leading him to make him to the point where he is ready for the blessing. It's pretty wild. It's not on your time. It's on God's time. And that's powerful when you think about the way in which he can use you in the midst of so much turmoil. Last night, I got a phone call about 9 o'clock. This isn't even in my notes. I just shared this with the, nine, with the 10 a.m., and uh, there was a lady who has been coming to our church for about two years, and she had a massive heart attack yesterday, and last night about midnight she passed away. And I've been trying to get in touch with their family, but I was thinking through this, and it, 
it occurs to me that I would be absolutely blown away if I was to talk with them today. And they said, Lawson, we are rejoicing today. We are rejoicing because she has found her blessing. We don't think in that mentality. But I know for certain this lady was a lover of Christ. She was a Christ follower. You could just see it in her life. The way that she, she was a custodian at a local elementary school and people loved her. And one of the things they loved about her was she would share Christ with others. She was just a light in a very dark world. And so to, in my mind, this is how Joseph was. People would think that he should be this miserable person. And it doesn't explain it in Scripture, but the way in which the pieces are all brought together demonstrates to me that Joseph had a powerful fortitude in him, one in which he knew that God had him, okay, through it all. That's what we must understand, is that God has us through it all. Now, that leads us to the second point, and it is this. Blessings are representative of our first fruit. And I know y'all have discussed first fruit through this series. I want to unpack this a little bit with you guys, because I'm one who, man, I want to make sure people understand it because I'm that way. I've got to understand every aspect of this. And Pastor Mark is really that way. Like sometimes I'll be on the phone with him and 50 minutes later, we're still on the same subject and he is unpacking everything for me and what he's explaining. And so with this, blessings are representative of our first fruit. I want us to go to Genesis 41 to kind of explain this. Let's go to Genesis 41. It says, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I want to set this up for you guys. Why is Joseph in front of Pharaoh now? Well, what happened is this. Potiphar's wife got the hots for Joseph because Joseph is this guy that's following God. And so he's got something that nobody else has, and that's God in him. So she is attracted to him and accuses him of adultery because he won't have anything to do with her, so she accuses him of that. He gets thrown into jail. He gets thrown into jail with two guys. And I'm telling you, jail back then was terrible. Terrible. I've been over to Israel now, and I've seen some of those places from back in the day. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, it's unbelievable. But yet he's there, and he's being obedient to God and being a representative of him. And so let's think about this. He's sitting there, and there's these two guys around him, and one of them, he says, is going to die. The other one says is going to be esteemed back to his position next to Pharaoh as cupbearer. So all of this happens, and word gets out that Joseph can interpret dreams. Well, guess what? The Pharaoh is having dreams that nobody can understand. There's corn eating dried up stalks, or dried up stalks of corn eating bountiful corn. There's little cows that are, that are sickly and starving. They're eating the fat cows. I mean, these dreams make no sense. And so these, these seers or these, these uh, magicians in Egypt, they can't interpret it, and they know they're going to die if they can't interpret it because the Pharaoh gets a little ticked over that if you can't interpret his dreams. So 
They're like, okay, we'll get Joseph up here because he probably can't anyways, but at least he'll die and we won't. Okay, it's what they're thinking. So Joseph comes up and he interprets his dreams. He says that the land is going to be bountiful for a certain number of years, and then after that there's going to be famine. And so you have to prepare yourself for that. You have to get ready. And so, because he was obedient to God and not wallowing in his misery, he didn't miss his opportunity for God to bless him. Let's check this out. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, I love this part. There is no one so discerning and wise as you are. This dude was just in jail. He was a slave. And now Pharaoh is saying, there's no one as wise and discerning as you. He can use anybody for his glory and for his purpose. That's what's so beautiful about this. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall shall do homage, only in the throne I will be greater than you. Honestly, Pharaoh is saying, listen, you're better than me because I couldn't interpret that dream, but you could. Only in that I am ruler am I greater than you. Guys, he was being a representative of God through giving of his first fruits. And I told the, the, the group earlier this morning is this, is that Joseph didn't have money to give in his first fruits. And it's not just money. We always say that, that this is the, the hardest thing to give up to God. And I agree, money is because it's something that, that speaks volumes in today's society. But here's the other thing too is this. Joseph understood that the first, first fruits doesn't stop there. That it's your life. That what you bring forth each and every day when you set your feet on the ground is your first fruits to God. It's how you live your life, how you are a representative of him. How you explain what God wants to do in your life. I thought about this just the other day. My dad is a representative over in Clemson. And he is in the House of Representatives. And what he does each and every day, I mean, like, I have to go to meetings just to see my dad, okay? I, I can't get time with him because he's such a good representative. He goes to, like, city council meetings, county council meetings, farmers meetings, uh, car insurance meetings. I mean, it, it's just meetings everywhere because you know why? He wants to understand what he's representing. He wants to understand why he's going down to Columbia to help make laws, even more so, each and every day, we must understand what it means to be a representative of Christ. And what that means for us is this, is that we must push forth in knowing him. How do we do that? Well, y'all know this. We get into God's word. We read his Bible. We spend time with him. We pray we look for opportunities to share with others. We do all of these things, but here's the thing. It's not like whenever I was practicing basketball that summer and should see the benefit in basketball. That's not it. You may never see your impact into somebody's life, but you might impact them because of the obedience to God. It's representative of our first fruits. The question that I have for you guys in this is, what are your first fruits? What are you guys bringing to God's table? 
Because he wants to use you, but you have to be willing to offer yourself up to him. So the last is this. Many times to see the blessings, we must build endurance and perseverance through the struggle. Man, I love this point because this is something that we don't want to talk about as Christians. We don't want to talk about as people who love Jesus. There might be some people in here that are like, Lawson, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't know Jesus. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But right now, I want to talk about the idea of endurance and perseverance in our race. I'm a runner. Y'all can't tell that, by the way, I look, but I do run. And I'll run six to seven miles three to four days a week. That's what I love to do. But there's a time like this week, we just got back from the West Coast, and I've been jet lagged, and the boys, have written, my, my six and nine-year-old have really been jet lagged, and we had just not been sleeping well. So I normally run at like 5.30 in the morning. And so I haven't been getting up as diligently as I normally do. And so next week, whenever I start up tomorrow, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. My legs are going to ache. My muscles will have atrophied a little bit because I haven't been using them in the way that I should. And what I mean by that is atrophy is, is that our muscles want to be used. they got energy in them. And if you don't use them, then that energy will get less and less and less. The, the, the muscle build will get less and less and less, and you'll become weaker. They battle that with astronauts in zero gravity all the time. Well, with us, it's the same thing in our spiritual walk. We have to make sure we're not experiencing spiritual atrophy. We have to make sure that we are growing in our walk with Christ. Joseph is a great example of this. Man, he had every roadblock put in front of him. But yet he still sought after God. He still was obedient to him and stepped up whenever the opportunity was there. The problem with us is this, is that we don't have the faith in God when times get tough. Faith is not just a belief, but it's an action, guys. Faith is something that we can experience through being spiritually disciplined to have endurance and perseverance. I want you guys to understand this. That if we don't do that, then we're just going to turn around and go back. Whenever I don't run a lot and I'm coming up on a huge hill and I'm going halfway up and I'm just sucking when I just want oxygen in my lungs and they're weak because I haven't been using them and my legs are burning and they feel like jello. And I, there's sometimes where I'll just turn around and go back downhill because it's easier. Path of least resistance, just going that way. But here's the thing for us, guys. That's not an option for Christ. That's not an option whenever we have a hill to climb. And in my mind, whenever I'm running, that's not an option for me. I've got to power through that, even though it hurts so bad. Guys, there's going to be times where it hurts so bad for y'all in your walk with Christ. And you have got to understand that he's got this. He's got it. But you have to be obedient in the process. There's a sponge principle that I use all the time. I use it with my volunteers a lot. A sponge, whenever you've got it in a wrapper and take it out, it's got so much potential to soak up. And let's say there's a bucket right here full of water and you put that sponge into the water. Eventually, it's going to get to a point where it's saturated, where it can't soak anymore. I look at that bucket as the American church 
in our sponge as people within it. And we're just sitting there and we're just soaking up. We might have all this head knowledge, but we're just bloated with it. We can't take in anymore and we definitely can't put it into action because we can't move. We've just been sitting and sitting for years and we're, we're having all these trials come at us and, and we just aren't reacting to them. We're just letting them pass by without stepping up for the opportunity that God has given us. What we need to do is take that sponge and get it out of the water. And what happens to that? I don't even have to squeeze it. If I'm just holding it, it's dripping everywhere. It's getting all of y'all wet because of the impact. That's what Christ wants us. That's how Joseph was. Joseph was immersed in God, but he was getting pulled out all the time in slavery at Potiphar's house, in jail, in front of Pharaoh. He was being hung out there saying, hey, listen, I need for you to make an impact right now, Joseph. God is saying, I need for you to make an impact, each and every one of us today. But the key is this. It's not staying out there because we get dry and we get hard and we get burned, burned out. We've got to go back to God's word and come back and spread. Go back to God's word and come back and spread. We must be obedient. Here's the biggest thing. Is that in all of this, all of us have trials coming. And that is where our faith is tested. And when we are going back, back to God but coming out, that's when we're ready to take on those trials. Today, there's somebody here, you are going through turmoil in your life. Maybe a divorce, a death, bankruptcy. It could be a number of anything. But you don't have any foundation in your life. You have nothing except for belief in yourself, and that's waning. You know what? You're going to fail if you're believing in yourself. The only way that you can have belief is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, if there is someone here today that's like, Pastor Lawson, I don't know Jesus. I don't know what he has done for me. I don't understand this concept of being obedient through trials because, man, I don't even know how to be obedient to Christ. I don't know what he did for me. Well, Lord, I pray right now that you prick that person's heart. Lord, you allow them to understand that it is not about you. It's about understanding that Christ died for you to save you from your sins. Save me from my sins. Lord, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if somebody wants to learn more about walking with Jesus, about learn more about having that relationship with Jesus, just let them raise their hand right now. Father, I ask right now that you be with each and every person in here because life is hard. God, you guaranteed us that. In James, you told us that life is hard. God, allow us to have the obedience to stay with you, the perseverance, the endurance to hold fast with you, God. Lord, lead us. As we stand and sing, let us thank you for all that you do in our lives and be thankful for your son dying on the cross for us. In whose name we pray, amen.